I'm Brandy. And I'm Tori. And we want to welcome you to Fiction Therapy, where real-life mental health professionals slash fantasy enthusiasts unpack, analyze, and fangirl about our favorite books. We dive deep into the characters, adventures, and romances that make them amazing reads. We hope you have as much fun listening as we do talking about them, and maybe see things from new perspectives. Alright, welcome. Today we are going to review and discuss A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Moss. Mass? Moss? Not sure. One I've been day saying Mass for two years, but two I years. found out like a month ago that it could be Moss. Could be Moss. I always say Moss, so Sarah, we are sorry. <laughs> Whichever one is wrong, we're sorry. We love you, but we don't know how to pronounce your name. Exactly. Okay, so today we're going to talk about that book. It is the first of many in a series that is well beloved, well talked about on Book Talk. Um, and we're going to do some disclaimers first. So here we go. Like I said, it's part of a series. It's been out for a while. It's very popular. I think it was published in what, 17 or 18? Uh, no, before that, because I read it in. I read it in 18 and they were all out. Oh, okay. Or, well, not all of them were out, but the first. A lot of them. Three were out. Um, I don't think Frost and Starlight had come out yet. Um, so I don't know. I, I think maybe but many 2015, years. 2016. Yeah. Close to 10 years. <clears throat> I mean, not. I mean, at least more than five years. So. And this is, this is one of those books that, like, it's not very predictable. So when we warn you, it's not like, oh, you know, we're, it's, we're just going to. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I don't. Oh, well, <laughs> in my mind, you. I knew what I was trying to say. Yeah. The point is, um, this book has a lot of twists and turns and spoilers. Yeah. So, they are all out, so you should go uh-huh. read them first. Right. I mean, you've probably already been spoiled on Book Talk, at least, because, like, they, these are old. Old enough that there are a ton of spoilers, so. But we're going to discuss them, like, in totality, right? So, we're going to talk about things that are that happened in the future, things that happened in other books, Things that the reader doesn't find out until like book four or so. So, if you have not read *Akatar*, *A Court of Thorns and Roses*, *A Court of Mist and Fury*, *A Court of War and Ruin*, *A Court of Frost and Starlight*, and *A Court of Silver Flame*, I guess so. Court, silver flames. Yeah, silver, silver flames. Silver flame. So, you're, if you have not read those, you're going to be spoiled on things. Okay. Second one. Most of the books in this series are YA, young adult. Um, one of them is new adult. The last one. Um, but even in Akatar, the book that we're going to talk about today, <clears throat> it does have some spicy scenes. So we're going to be discussing sex at some points. So just protect the tiny ears around you uh, from those discussions. And uh, if you're looking for a review of this book, like you're just ready to listen to something instead of reading it, um, this podcast may not be for you. So we created it just so that, honestly, we could fangirl about the genre and specifically Sarah J. Moss books. So if you're not a fan, if you've not read these books yet, um, come back when you have done that because we want you to listen, but uh, don't want you to be like, oh, they're talking about stuff that I got no idea about. Yeah, because when you read this book, you want to be surprised. Like, mm-hmm. it's so well written. You don't want to see what's coming. And um, Sarah writes so well and that you really can't predict what's going to happen. Or I feel like I wasn't able to read predict what was going to happen. I always tell people when they're reading this, like, stay off Pinterest. Enjoy yeah. it. Like, enjoy the twists and turns. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, so now that we've done the disclaimers, let's set the scene. Okay, so the setting is um, 
the world is unknown, but there are um, lots of different types of people living in the world. There are obviously humans and um, the fae and the fairies. Um, the high fae are kind of like the humanoid fairies, lots yeah. of power, very attractive. And then there's kind of um, this sub-level of fairies that are more the animalistic. Um, they're called the lesser fae, right? Yes. Or lesser fairies. Yeah. And they're like all different colors, have wings, you know, the sky's kind of the limit there. Um, our main character is human, and she is a lady, and um, she is the hero of the book. Um, oh, no, she's not the hero. She's of the, the main book. character. I reread that. She's the main <laughs> character. Our hero, who is male, is Haifei. Yes. Um, I read that wrong. See? It's okay. Um, there is a wall that separates the human lands and Printhian, which is the fairy lands. Pharaoh mm -hmm. lives just south of the wall in the mortal lands, and most of the book takes place north of the wall in Printhian, which has a lot of different territories. Um, fairies also live in Printhian, but only high fae look human and butimous. I love that <laughs> word you wrote, Brandy, butimous. Like yeah. our hero and other characters. Uh, let's see. Farah is 19. She lives in her very humble home mm -hmm. with her two sisters, Nessa and Elaine, and her father. They were very well off earlier in life, but lost all of their money, and now they are poor. Mm -hmm. Like, very, very poor. Yeah. Their mom died, and their dad was very badly injured, so there is no one there to take care of the girls. Just Farah. Farrah kind of steps up into that role, even though she is the youngest She's literally sister. the youngest. I think we, throughout the series, you kind of forget that mm -hmm. Farrah's the youngest. You kind of automatically assume she's yeah. the oldest, and then you kind of remember, and you're like, oh. It's freaking Elaine that's the oldest, and she seems like 12. Is it Elaine? Yes. Elaine is the oldest, and then Nesta, and then See, Farrah. I was thinking all this time it was Nesta. No, Elaine is like 25. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's just even worse. Um, anyway, Nessa is too prissy to do any work and thinks that she is above it. And Elaine is so fragile that it hurts. Um, so it falls to Feyre to provide food and other necessities for the whole family. She's been hunting in the woods since she was 14 years old for food and pelts to sell for other goods. And I just, I know we haven't just start, started discussing yet, but I just wanted to point out that when I first kind of started this book, I was like, is she just going to be another Katniss Everdeen? Yeah. But she starts off with arrows and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely not like that at For all. For sure. Um, Feyre is, Feyre would have put an end to the Hunger Games in the first chapter. Yeah. So. Yes. So we start off with Feyre being like, I guess, you know, when you're first reading it, like, chapter one starts off like she's in the woods. Yeah. Um, so you get thrown right into the plot. Um, but I guess as the reader, you're trying to get a sense of, like, what are the characteristics of our main character? Is she strong? Is she frail? Is she funny? You know, is she hateful? Like, what is she like? And I think at the beginning, I didn't fully grasp how strong of a person she is. Mm -hmm. And that, like, to me, points to, like, resiliency that's built with trauma because she and her oh, family yeah. have been through so much because, like, later throughout the books, when you, when she, even, like, the first time she fights the Boge or the Bog, I don't know how you say it. It's the Bogey. The Bogey. Um, when she is later in a different place, the Spring Court, 
um, she like kills two of them, and and Tamlin and Lucian are like, you, "I'm sorry, you killed them? What? Uh, how? <laughs> like you're human?" She is like really good at survival. She's really good at just like doing the hard things, and she's like, "I got to do this, so I'm just gonna do it." Well, and you'll see throughout the series, she's kind of like, it's not so much she she just becomes as strong as she needs to be. Mm-hmm. Like if something is. Um, something happens in her life, she's like, okay, well, I'm going to do this to solve it, or I'm going to do this to fix it, no matter what it requires of me. So she's very adaptable, and I think there's a huge strength in that, especially with us being, you're a mental health professional, and I'm in school to be a mental health professional. That's Mm -hmm. like, that's a huge thing in our book. Absolutely. I I felt like I spent more time during this book falling in love with Feyre, Mm -hmm. or than falling in love with Feyre and Tamlin. (laughs) (laughs) We're like, Dang, Farah, you're awesome. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Some people, she gets a bad rap for being, like, um, emotional and or soft. Because I I see that, like, on uh, the reviews, like, book talk and people. Like, they're like, oh, Farah's just a softie. And I'm like, she's she's kind and she has a heart. You know, she has humanistic tendencies of giving compassion. Yeah. But she's so strong. I love how all this has happened to her and she maintains that kindness and that gentleness that kind of tends to disappear when you've gone through all this trauma and stuff. I think that's what I think is one of the coolest things about Feyre is she is so, you know, awesome and just bad news. But at the same time, she also maintains her femininity and, you know, just this gentleness and softness that it's its own kind of strength. Yeah. It's not the same kind of gentleness and softness as, like, Elaine. But we see in Nesta where she kind of went a different route with trauma. She hardened herself and uh, became, like, brusque and abrasive. um, And and Feyre didn't, you know. Mm -hmm. And I don't don't say that to say that, like, Feyre's way of responding to trauma is the right way. But it is, it's a really lovely quality that Mm -hmm. Feyre can still love and make relationships and have family and Nesta is just like, GTF out of my face. Like, I can't handle anybody. Nobody will mess with me. Nobody will mess yeah. with my sisters. I can't even have friends because I got to be so strong and have such tall walls yeah. around my heart and my life. I definitely think, I was just thinking in my mind when you were saying that, that you could see three different ways of coping in the sisters. But mm-hmm. you can kind of add in the father and see four different ways of coping. For you know, sure. they all cope. Very differently, which we'll get into that later, you know, with some of the plot. But there's just, there's a lot of good meat in this story that you can get down into. It's um, it's not just your surface level, happy little fairy tale. Right. It's um, not just a high uh, fantasy. It's not just a romance. It is so much more. So, anyways, I'll get started now. We haven't even started chapter one. So. I know. Chapter one, it is winter, it is snowing, and Feyre is out hunting, obviously. She's freezing her tail off. She says that they finished the last of their bread and the dried meat yesterday, so the pressure is really on to get something today. Uh, She has heard rumors of massive wolves being spotted, so she's on the lookout for it. So that's how they kind of set up this, like, fear of the fae and fear of fairies. Um, It's just kind of talking about rumors, like, oh, they can look like wolves, so beware. Um... So she describes how once she had dreamed and breathed and thought in color and light and shape. Interesting shift from privilege to fighting day-to-day for basic needs. So I put that in there because I like how Sarah J. Moss points out 
that when you're privileged and you have stuff in your pantry and you know you're not fighting every day to survive she really like was able to lean into her creative self and have mm-hmm. that freedom to love those things and find joy in those things um, but she mentions how like she's in survival mode and she can't like she can't remember the last time she painted mm-hmm. or like felt joy by doing art um, so also Isaac is in the barn and noticing lovely moments like this one instead of taking time to actually paint and create so she does have present moment awareness sometimes when Isaac is her boothang who she gets it on with in the barn sometimes <laughs> sometimes <laughs> she describes that as like a release and how like it's nice to have fun for the moment and you know they're they're on birth control and so it's safe and stuff like that but sometimes she can enjoy herself but most of the time she's like I just gotta I gotta get back to work um, I have to like provide for my family. Um, she kind of looks at her relationship, quote quote, with Isaac as like the only thing she does for herself. Like yeah. everything else is literally done for her sisters mm-hmm. for survival. It's really a sad existence. It super is, yeah, for sure. So she sees the doe in the woods, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, that could be so much meat, so much monies." Um, like her salvation. mouth is like watering. Yeah. she's like, "I'm gonna cook this thing." Yeah, she's like, "I'm gonna make some jerky and I'm gonna make some <laughs> stew." And then she's like, "Okay, I gotta chill out, so I'm gonna make this shot." <laughs> and then she sees a wolf, and she's like, "It's a fairy, but it isn't. Like, I don't know if it's a fairy." And she's well, like, I would also like to point out that during this time, she's like, "If this wolf gets." My dough. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't get my meat. I'm going to lose it. <laughs> yeah. She's like, if this wolf is the reason, I'm going to be <laughs> super angry. Um, so she's not really sure. And this is important, okay? She decides that she needs to go ahead and kill it just in case so it doesn't harm anyone in the village. So you can already see how she is coming from a perspective of like, I don't know if it's fairy or not. But just but, in case, I'm going to kill it. Yes. I'm going to protect the village. I'm going to protect my family. And I'm going to protect this doe that I'm going to kill for my family. Um, and this is important because, big spoiler alert, which you shouldn't be listening already, but um, this is a huge part of the curse that has to be broken later. That, like, um, the villain has already deemed that a human has to have hate in their heart for fairies and has to kill a fairy and then, you know, fall in love with our hero. Unprovoked. Like, has to kill it without it attacking. Yes. And so, we know that the wolf is a fairy or whatever, but I really struggled with this because I think what's happening with Farah and her hatred for fairies is, like, systematic prejudice, right? Because she's just been raised in the human lands to to think that fairies are evil, you know, and that they're mm-hmm. dangerous and, like, we need to hate them for our survival, and I don't know that that's part of who she is naturally, because you, you can tell even in her inner monologue that she cares for this wolf. She's like, well, I don't want to kill it just to kill it, you know, like, yeah. I, if, do I really have to kill this wolf? And she decides yes, but it's not just like, oh man, I, I really hate fairies, like, I'm gonna kill it. But there's also, you know, there, there probably isn't like a ton of hate in her heart, you know, to begin with, but... There, there's also this reputation. You know, the fairies are kind of, um, you know, when when we think of fairies in this day and time, we kind of think of like Tinkerbell and like happy right. little fairy dust. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that side of you know fairies. But like in folklore, fairies were like they're jerks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they were like kidnapping babies and yeah. like 
Eat you. Eat Rebutus you. Reds. Uh, couldn't lie, but could definitely make truth horrible. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, so when you look at it from this side, you're kind of like, okay, yeah, you need to be leery. Yes. Um, and they believed that iron was... Protective against know, them, yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, and in this world, you know, humans were slaves for the fairies. Yes. For years and years and years. Which is another reason to hate them, for sure. And then this wall, you know, there was this war, and we'll talk more about this later, but there was this great war, and, um, you know, they they came to this truce, and they built this wall to keep the humans and the fairies separate. So obviously the humans got their freedom, but they kind of lived in this fear of, are the fairies ever going to take back that freedom that they gave us mm-hmm. right because so. they have the power oh they, yeah like yeah somebody created the wall somebody can destroy it and we learn a lot later like they do have something that will destroy the wall but so they do live in that fear and that i wanted to talk about more about that later like i think it's chapter three when they go to town and there's a moment yeah but anyways for now chapter one what we learned about Feyre is that she is resourceful she's strong-minded She's really strong physically for her level of health. Like, I mean, they're all pretty weak, but um, in, in general, she's a caregiver. She's a provider, and that she's creative. And that's a, a big thing that people point out, like, oh, Vera loves to paint. And I have heard some somebody point out before that, like, Sarah J. Moss always gives her main character, like, this hobby. Like, it's always artistic. Yes. That, I like, love that. Aelin plays the piano, and she's really into music, and Feyre's very into painting. And um, even the new one, I don't think, you haven't read Crescent City, have no. you? No. Well, Bryce um, dances. Oh, Bryce is a that. dancer, so it's really, it's kind of, it's really cool. I like that she I does that. People know. pick at it, though. They're like, oh, they're, I don't care about her paintings. Because there are chapters where... I care! <laughs> I care! There are chapters where Sarah J. Moss, like, will... She'll write, you know, for pages and pages about whatever it is that that desire is. And so I think a lot of people come to these books for the romance, you know. So they're like, oh, I don't care. Get on with it. (laughs) I care. I care so much. Yeah. Oh, that just makes me. I've not been. I'm not as deep into the internet hole as you are. Into the book talk, yeah. Yeah. I started TikTok when the pandemic hit. And I quickly found my way to book talk. And then, that, so that's where I get most of my opinions. Like, I don't read a lot of blogs and stuff, but there, there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of opinions about these books. And so, see, I read all mine on Pinterest, and so my Pinterest is nothing but literally book memes mm-hmm. and uh, fan art. So, I love, I love it. I love it. Okay, so, um, oh, where we were? She was gonna kill that. She was trying to. Oh, we were trying to decide if we were gonna kill the deer. That's our oh, the okay. Deer, the wolf. So, so I just jumped straight to the analyzing Farah. <laughs> but what happens is <laughs> she do kill that deer, and she also kills the wolf by like shooting him with an ash arrow. So that's important too. That like people point out later that like you even use an ash arrow, which is like needed to kill a fairy. And ash arrows are like expensive for like, sure. Then that's the only thing that'll kill a fairy is mm-hmm. the ash arrow. And like homegirl spent her precious money to have this arrow for protection so obviously the fairies are pretty feared enough to like yes have to carry very feared to spend a lot of money on this and I love that she put in there too I remember reading she was like you know I bought this years ago and I've just been carrying it around and hoping that I didn't waste my money on it and so she does use it she kills them both she realizes that she can't carry both because she's simply a human girl so she skins the wolf and takes the pelt 
and she carries this dough on her back all the way home yep. through the snow through like I mean imagine that you can't see any ground like there's probably six inches of snow on the floor and she trucks this thing back home and in shoes that are too small in shoes that are too small probably didn't even have like a great coat um like I remember reading that and I was like oh yeah like <laughs> yeah and my family are deer hunters and one time I made the big mistake of going <laughs> going with them and to see this poor deer dead and the amount of force that they had to use two grown men to get it up into the bed of a truck. Like, uh, I don't know how realistic that is for on Sarah, Sarah J. Moss's part. I don't know. We're going to look well, over it. Well, she would also be incredibly malnourished. Yes. That's why I pointed out, like, she's pretty strong physically for her level of care. Like, he- level like of health. Maybe she's, like, dragging it behind her. Maybe so. I don't know. But Can't this remember. is a big feat. But the point is, homegirl had to work real hard to get this back home. And, like, the way that she's greeted and treated for doing this for her family is pretty crappy yes anyways that's the end of chapter one um so then she gets home and that's kind of when you're introduced to her sisters yeah we talked a little bit about them Mm. nesta is just hateful like she's just hateful and you're gonna you'll read more and you'll read the rest of the books and you'll end up liking her. I think Brandy likes her a little more than I do, but she's just oh, I love hateful. Her. Like I hated her during this book for sure. Yeah. Until the very end. And until, then it's yeah. like there's a redeeming moment. But yeah. I was just like, girl. I like I would have like Fair is so gentle and so nice and she's firm, but I would have literally walked up in there and like punched them in the face. I kind of see Farah has some peacemaking tendencies because there's a lot of times in her inner monologue where she's like, ooh, she's really making me angry, but then she doesn't say anything. Yeah. Like the whole, like, wood cutting thing. <laughs> she's like, Nesta, I thought you were going to chop wood today. And she was like, it was cold and, like, you're better at it than me. And, like, in Farah's mind, she's like, oh, my God. But didn't she... I, I, I can't remember. I just recently reread the books. So I should remember. Doesn't mm-hmm. she like throw the dough on the table? Yeah, she does. Like, she like, <laughs> and all the blood like goes on everyone. Yeah, it's like, and I think that's passive ne- aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> Nesta and Elaine are like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, then they start like getting really impressed with it, and they're like, oh, we're gonna make a lot of money off of this. And you can see everybody's like jumping into action. Nesta's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll go chop some wood so you can yeah. make some stew. And Elaine, like, she's like, oh, I need some new boots, like, tomorrow when we go to the market. And so, like, they appreciate Farah, but they don't, like, appreciate They only appreciate her. it when the meat's on the exactly, table. Exactly, exactly. They don't really treat her well until she literally brings a hunk of meat and slaps it on the table. Yeah. So... Um, so then they're going to go sell the wolf pelt. Mm-hmm. Um, and her sisters are like, yeah, we're coming uh, to see how much money you get for this wolf pelt. And then we're yeah. going to blow it. Imagine, I imagine them as like two children going with mom to Target. Yeah. And like when they get up to the candy section, they're like, mom, can I have this? Like, yeah. Oh, 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 I want this lollipop. With like, that's the how younger sister. Yes. Farah is the youngest and she's the one being like, no, we can't afford those BS ribbons that you want for your hair. I just feel like we need a moment. I'm looking up the ages here because I can't remember the age difference. I think Nesta is 22 or 23 and Elaine's 25. When so when Farah is nineteen, we know Farah's nineteen. 
and Nessa is 22 and Elaine is 2021. Huh. So Elaine's middle sister. 20 or 21. Really? I don't know where I got that then. That that nest that Elaine well, was the so oldest. They're so close together. They could practically yeah. They're back to back to back, but I really thought Elaine was the oldest. Well, you know what? I'm going to be really honest. That makes me feel a little better because I was really getting salty over here at Elaine being the oldest. Yeah. Well, Nesta is still the oldest now that we've found out that I was wrong. <laughs> and she's not doing much either. No, she's not doing anything. Maybe she thought... has an attitude or something. Yeah. Know? Elaine literally has a flower garden. Do you know she doesn't even grow a vegetable? <laughs> Like, what the she just heck? She flowers. She has a garden, but doesn't grow food. My opinion of Elaine is, of Elaine is not very high. Me neither. Um, I'm just... sure she'll have a redemption arc at some point. Does she? I don't know. Let's see. Okay, so they go to the town. Um, we've got the two little kids at Target waiting <laughs> on Mom to sell the wolf pelt. Yeah. Um. Oh, the Alkalite. Al- the Acolytes, yeah. Acolyte from the Children of the Blessed. Mm-hmm. So this is a cult claiming that fairies are good and that we should worship them. Yeah. Because they have food and we don't. <laughs> I feel like it's implied that they do sexual favors for Do you get that vibe? I, I think get it's that implied. Vibe. I think it's implied. Like the playthings mm-hmm. of the fae. Um but obviously like when they go over there they never come back. So we don't really know what's going on yeah. at this point in the book. I mean, you find out later. But um, I definitely got the vibe that they are they're discriminated against, too. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying, like, justice for the acolytes. But I am <laughs> saying, like, the three sisters react really negatively towards them. Oh, yeah. And then there's, like, two other ladies that walk up, like, on their way to the market. And they're like, ugh. They're so disgusting. Like, they use pretty colorful language to be like, you should go back to the wall, or like, you should wear iron instead of those silver bells, and stuff like that. So, like, seen as a betrayal. It's like you're betraying your own kind to go grovel at the feet of these, you know, dangerous and like aggressive people. Yeah. They, and essentially, the Fae are are viewed as something sinister and hateful and evil. And then, like, once we get over to Prithian, we see like, there are species that are that way, but in general, I mean, they're they're just normal dudes, like, going about their well, normal life. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess Valaris. a lot of, like... Valaris is that way. Yeah, Valaris is more like that. But there's a lot of, like, um, aggression and territorialness. Yeah, and, and there's plenty of, of killing, of murdering. Yeah, there's just this more... Um, primal side for sure of the fae that then i feel like the humans have there are some high lords that don't do the human slavery anymore though yeah that's like, true for so sure so they're they're redeeming people in the fae and i think that like nobody in the human lands believes that they believe that they're right. that way across the board Correct. Right? there's no exceptions like yeah. reese or, yeah. you know no exceptions like reese are are but they're very—they are dangerous, no matter yeah. who they are. True. That's important to remember. They're very dangerous. They're dangerous. Um, so she sells the wolf pelt to this mercenary, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, who gives her like way more money than the pelt is worth. Yeah. 
And the two little girls at Target are, like, drooling. They're like, oh, my God. It's pathetic. Um, And she says that she does this, you know, because she's been there before, yada, yada. It's not that important. Oh, she sees Isaac on the way home. She does, and she goes over to him. Oh, she's like, wink, wink, hey, hey. Hey, I'm coming over to the barn. But he's going to be married soon. So she's thinking, I probably shouldn't continue this. But he's inviting it. Yeah, he's definitely inviting it. Um... Okay, so yeah, so Isaac, you know. But the next day. The next day. Um, a large beast. Like, I'm trying not to go too like, much Like, bust through the door. Like, yeah, I, like they're I, just I feel like the door the just, like, goes oh, it off the hinges. Did. It definitely <laughs> did, because at one point in the book, she says that he went back and fixed it. <laughs> He's like, sorry about your door. <laughs> yeah. He's like, my bad. Um, so yeah, it, like, bursts in, and he's like, got like horns and he's got like yeah. the face of a lion he's got like a mane a bear and, and the talons there's all this weird like combination of animal yeah. here yes um so sometimes she uses like feline descriptors and sometimes it's yeah. canine it's a very weird mixture i honestly just kind of oh my bee. i honestly view him as the beast from Beauty and the Beast. Like, that's how I imagined him in my head. Because I had nothing else to go off of. That's an insult to the beast. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we can't do that. Oh, man. Um, But, yeah, especially the newer one where he's got the big horns. I can kind of... I I can see that for sure. Yeah. Like, huge, humongous. Breaks down the door. And he's like, okay, uh, like... Okay, so he, like, breaks down the door and he's like, dude... Who killed uh, my fairy friend out in the woods? <laughs> my fairy. Um, no, but seriously, he's like in in a really scary manner. Mm-hmm. Less less uh, a like lot of that. fangs, a lot, a lot of, of fangs, talons, anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, who killed my buddy? And um, obviously, it wasn't Elaine. Yeah. And so Fair's like it was me or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Long story short, they like she's like oh, yeah, it was me. And the dad is like, you should just go with him. Because he's like, well, you know, we need, we need to make this right. So I can either kill you now or I can take you and you have to, like, live out your life as, you know, I a guess. A life for a life. Yes. Like, you took a life, so I'm going to take your life. Yes. So she's either got to go to Prithian forever or be killed. And her dad is like, you need to leave. Don't ever come back. And I thought that was really interesting how he was like, don't come back. Yeah, he's like, you're too good for this world. Mm-hmm. So you're going to let her go live as a slave in another one? Like- yeah, I, I have to feel like, I have to think that dad knows about Prithian. I don't know. Oh, I hope so. I feel like he just has a lot of faith in Feyre and, like, knows. Also, have you heard the theory that, like, the Archerons are, like, a Fey family? I have not. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I think you did tell me about that. Yes. So people are are pointing out the fact, which is very true, that nobody else's last name is mentioned in these books. Hmm. But the Archerons' names are brought up all the time. And even Amarantha says... Pharaoh Archeron. Hmm. She Ooh. says something that it. She she said something like that's a that's an ancient Fey name or something like that. And I was like, why would her mother be giving their her an ancient Fey name? So, anyways, there's a theory out there. So I feel like maybe mom and dad know about Prithian and like knows that Pharaoh will be able to have some semblance of a life across the wall. Or they just have faith in her that she will totally escape. Yeah. Either or. 
So dad's like, don't come back. And the sisters, I don't really remember much of their reactions, but they're like, don't hurt us. And so, yeah, yeah, they get taken. And so at this point, they still don't think he can lie. And he's pretty much like, you know, like, I'm going to let you live Mm -hmm. in my territory. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're like, okay, well, you can't lie. So he's not going to take her and kill her. Right. You know. Which is a a big lie that fairies can't lie. <laughs> so she agrees to go, and he puts her on a white horse, which is kind of ironic to me. Um, you know, save the day with the white horse. And um, I think she starts asking questions, and he's like, this nah, is girl, annoying. girl, go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, so he, like, makes her go to sleep with magic. And uh, she doesn't wake up again until they're there. They're, like, almost to his manor. Yeah. And, um, of course, he lives in this, like, beautiful manor. Yeah. At the height of springtime. Like, on-point landscaping. Yeah. Like, oh, the in sky the, is he shining. He mentions it's the spring court. Yeah. I think. So, like, I'm already wanting to start sneezing thinking about it. <laughs> um, but that's just kind of... Hopefully, like, Farrah don't have those allergies. Hopefully, she took her Claritin with her. <laughs> like, tucked She's in like, her wait, pocket. I just gotta get my Claritin... <laughs> If we're going to go to the spring court. What season was it again? <laughs> um, maybe some Benadryl, too. But He's anyway. Like, Don't worry, girl. I got you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, like, keeps it on hand everywhere. Um, so, anyway, they get there. It's, like, super beautiful. There's roses everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the gets- garden in the back has, I think, like, people really typically skip over this but I think the name A Court of Thorns and Roses comes from the fact that there's like this immaculate rose garden in the back of the manor and Farrah spends some time out there and like there's even you know specific scenes surrounding the thorns and like yeah and she paints it all the time yes yeah so that's where the name comes in oh yeah so um they get there she starts meeting people she has like oh she gets her own room which Mm -hmm. is really nice she does not have to stay in a dungeon cell Mm-hmm. Um, First thing she does, sets up a snare to, like, whap, yes. whap somebody in the face if they open up her door. This is, like, the moment I realized I really like Feyre. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm going to use these everyday items to make you miserable. <laughs> to fashion the snare. And then early on, she, like, gets a butter knife, and she's yeah. like, I'll just keep this. She's like, I'm going to just sneak <laughs> this. Like, surely nobody's seeing me take this butter knife from the table. Oh, so we have to, we haven't mentioned that obviously Tamlin and Lucian are Tamlin is our hero. Yes. Lucian his like best friend, sidekick. They both have masquerade masks oh, yeah. glued to their faces. Like, like a, well, magic. at this point you just think it's like a she's like, Oh, this must be like some high face style. Yeah, like this is high fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like both <laughs> ridiculously beautiful except for this mask and we didn't even talk about lucian lucian is tamlin's bestie yeah also does have that one eye (laughs) (laughs) he has one eye the other one's like mechanical and it like whirs around he can i feel like it's like the matrix sight you know like yeah i don't know is that true or not i just feel like swap it between like x-ray vision and yeah night vision um, uh, he is the Autumn Court yeah. son, Air. one of the heirs of the Autumn Court. He's, like, way down the line. He's, mm-hmm. I kind of think of, like, Hans of the Southern Isles, mm-hmm. you know, yes. kind of that position. He's got a lot of brothers, and they're all terrible. Yes. 
Um, but he he's also the emissary. To, like, he's the go-between. Yeah. Tamlin for... made him the emissary because of his yeah. awful family. Yes. So that he could stay and have a job and a purpose and stuff. So let me just say, um, we're going to talk really bad about Tamlin. But there are, we have to hold on to the fact that there are some good things. Mm. Like, especially in this book. And I think one of those things is getting Lucian out of that bad situation. Absolutely. Like, let's, I'm doing this more for me than for you. When I'm, like, ranting later, remind me there are some good things. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. It's Uh, hard. He does have a lot of care for his friend. And, like, he did get his friend out of that awful situation. Um, And I think that we get a little bit of understanding for, like, why Tamlin is the way he is when later a different character sheds some light on Tamlin's family. Yeah. And, like, how bad Tamlin's dad was. And the fact that Tamlin didn't even want to be High Lord. Yeah. Um, And it was, like, forced upon him. He's an only child, I think, right? No, his brothers were killed. He was never meant to be High Lord. That's right. Um, he, like, grew up thinking, this is not my life. He, he like, led the armies, mm-hmm. you know. And he thought, I'm never going to have to deal with this. It's going to be great because I don't want to deal with this. And yeah. then, like, his whole family was slaughtered in a single day and it fell to him. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some terrible history there. Yeah. But instead of, um, like, taking that opportunity and becoming a great high lord, he just kind of reveled in his miserableness. Like. Mm-hmm. Um, he do be throwing a pity party a lot. Yes, he is definitely the victim. Mm-hmm. He, he acts as the victim a lot. Um, so you meet you know, all these people, all these different dynamics. Um, Alice is her servant. Um, yes. And she is actually a lesser fairy, but uh, Tamlin has this glamour over Feyre. Yeah. And so she sees her as this, like, really Norman, normal humanoid type, like, mother figure. Yeah. And later she's like, wait, who? You but look Alice like is, like, super sassy. I love Alice. Like, I mean, does not take Ferris crap. Mm-hmm. Like, she's like, you need to woman up and deal with this. And mm-hmm. I love that. Um, Another thing she says is that Lucian needs somebody to give him a little pushback. Oh, and yeah. I think that's where Feyre gets her motivation to like kind of press his buttons yeah and in doing she's that, scared of tamlin tamlin she's like oh i'm i'm not gonna hang around tamlin but lucian she's like i will try to get in his head and get him to help me like escape because she's still in the escape mentality she's yes. like i gotta get well, back through home. the like the whole book she's in the escape mentality mm-hmm. almost until the very end mm-hmm. um but yeah, she kind of develops this really cool friendship with lucian yeah. which i'm gonna tell you like one of my favorite parts about these books is um the friendship you know like we talk about the romance and obviously we're going to focus on that a ton but you know there's some really cool friendship dynamics especially with like Farah and Lucian and later with like Farah and Cassian the Farah Cassian mm. friendship is like my favorite thing on the planet it really is um and Farah and the surreal like Farah just has this personality that like everybody wants to be friends with her and I love it yeah well, Sarah J. Moss writes that, like, found family trope really well. Yeah, She does that in all her books. I don't know about Crescent City. I'm so sorry. I haven't it read it. It hasn't really been developed yet, but I can see it for the future. Yeah. You well, know? at least the Akatar series and the Throne of Glass series is, like, the found family, it, it just gets you right in the feels yeah. and makes your heart just, like, a mushy lava cake. I love it. So oh. great. But one thing I don't get about Lucian which, I mean, on the surface, you don't get it because 
his decisions to like dislike Farah and want to like kill Farah and get her out is like it's like what are you doing? Because when you take into consideration they have to fulfill this like bet they've made with Amarantha. And they're, like, you know, a year out, maybe a month out. Like, they're running out of time really quick. Mm-hmm. But Lucian, like, hates Farah, And I get it because, like, Farah killed his friend. And shows no remorse And shows it. no remorse, but she also doesn't know that he was a, a dude. You know, like, she kind of thought of him as a wolf. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I get that. But also, like, wouldn't you want to put aside that for the good of Prithian and no. be like, okay, you two kiss now. <laughs> <laughs> no. Lucian's like, I don't care. I don't like this girl. She has too much, you know, which I mean, if you think about it, think about like Lucian's mom. She's very uh, not sassy. What is the yeah. opposite of sassy? She's very submissive. Submissive. And Feyre is not submissive at all. Yeah. So like, He's probably thinking she cannot be reasoned with, or and she's definitely not. Like maybe, she's too rogue. Maybe he just doesn't have faith in Tamlin to like romance her. Who He's does like, have faith in him? No. Honestly, <laughs> Lucian has their whole relationship in the palm of his hand. If it weren't for Lucian, Tamlin would never have gotten Farrah. No, never. He's like He's so awkward. Maybe you should go talk to her. Right. Like, He's like, say this. I kind of picture Lucian as Lumiere. Yeah. In the. <laughs> For sure. But, like, a really mean Lumiere. Yeah. But it's, it, like, my point is Lucian does a lot of things at the beginning to deter her. And, like, honestly, he tries to get her killed a little bit with the surreal and, like, leaves wonder, her. What if Lucian is, like, scared Feyre's going to fall in love with him instead? So he's, like, like, he's, like, Tamlin is such a turd. Like, <laughs> I better make myself more terrible so that her option. <laughs> That's interesting. Slimmer. I don't know. But I'm not gonna lie. Like when I first read the book, I was rooting for Lucian more than Tamlin. Me too. Like, I think I everybody like, is more attracted to oh, him as a dude. Yeah. yeah. He's cool. I like him. But he does. He's very mean to Feyre and like shuts her down a lot and is like, "You're never gonna escape." You know, like don't, don't even try. Like there's no yeah. hope. And she does actually spend way more time with Lucian than she does Tamlin. Tamlin's like, hey, I'll, like, show you around if you want. And she's like, no. And then later Lucian's like, I'm going on a ride. Like, do you want to come? I'm coming. (laughs) He's like, okay, don't talk. (laughs) It's like, be quiet and just, like, ride behind me. Well, and I think a lot of it was Tamlin was always asking her to do these, like, really, um female appropriate things like he always wanted to take her on a tour or on a picnic and mm -hmm. those things are great but when you're used to like hunting you know however many hours a day and just Mm -hmm. sitting and getting fat and happy is not really your idea yeah I mean it's not it's not even my idea of fun like I would much rather do the horseback riding and Mm -hmm. I'm not I'm definitely nothing like Feyre well they they also go on hunts too because she tells Lucian she's like well I'm a hunter and he's like all right well then show me what you got yeah Yeah. so I think that's um probably why she enjoyed her time mm -hmm. with Lucian more but um, she does have dinner with them a lot like there it's like a you're gonna have dinner with us every night kind of vibe or you're not gonna eat so she does eventually, like, and at first she's opposed to eating the food because she's like, I, I know that it's, like, magicked. But anyways, eventually they get into this routine of, like, every night the three of them sit down and have dinner. 
and Lucian is always like at this huge table. I always remember her talking about how big the table was. I'm like, yes. that's so weird. And it's I feel like it's like Lucian and Tamlin on a corner, and then and the like other end is like fair. <laughs> And it's, I, I also imagine Lucian just, like, has to keep his mouth shut the whole time, but, like, is giggling when Tamlin's like, so, uh, ha, how was your day? And Farrah's like, uh, <laughs> uh, it was cool. It was terrible. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> oh and I'm goodness. just like, why are you two not motivated enough? Like, you, well, you guys need to get on it like the time is running out and I can't help but thinking I mean I'm not gonna try to um, go into other books too much but I feel like it has to be pointed out you know with the table thing there's this huge table you can sit as far away from you want then you see in future books when Reese has her in Mm -hmm. the night court and he's like who has the smallest table? Bring it here we're gonna sit at it so that wherever you sit you're not escaping me (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like she comes to the table. Remember that first meeting with the inner circle at the House of Wind? And she, like, dresses up in her fanciest dress and stuff. And, like, everybody is in so, like, the guys are in leathers. Moore is in, like, her amazing red dress. Amarin is in, like, pajamas. Pajamas. (laughs) And Reese is in something pretty chill. I don't think it's on his black and black. But, like, she's like, oh, I am overdressed. Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, everything was a big hoopla in the spring court where, like, you got dressed really fancy every night. Oh, yeah. And every day, like, they laid out these really elaborate dresses for her. And mm-hmm. she, like, goes hunting down, like, pants mm-hmm. and shirts. She's and, like, no, I'm going to wear pants. Yeah. And they're like, and I remember the first time she wears pants, they're like, you can you can wear the dresses. And she's like, no, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And she does wear the dresses eventually to, like, parties yeah. and stuff. But just yeah. for dinner, like... It's ridiculous. It is. It's it, there. It, there's just like this role that she tr- they try to shove her into. Um, whereas, like in other courts, like the night court, you can just be who you are, and it's yeah. it's just it's you can see in her inner monologue in the future books how she's so shocked by that. She's like, oh, like you can just be comfortable and like, all right. Yeah, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance in the Supreme Court. Okay, so now we're to like my favorite. Uh, part of this book probably mm-hmm. maybe not my favorite part mm-hmm. of this book mm-hmm. but my favorite developing relationship yes um so she tells oh she has a lot of curiosity about yes, all of this yes. like it's a mystery to Feyre she's Tamlin trying to figure it out won't tell her anything Mm-mm. like she asks questions and he's just like I, I I'm not telling you anything right and I want to blame it on the curse like I want to be like oh he can't tell her anything because of this curse but no he's just deterred and can't and won't tell her yeah. anything. they're so cryptic I'm like can we play charades or something like <laughs> yeah. try to tell this girl what's going on so what she has determined so far is there is this blight which or is disease, yeah, yeah on the land that is causing all this trouble there's all these uh, really like evil fairies running around like killing people and doing mm-hmm. terrible stuff um, and she can't get any answers nobody will give her any answers and she finds out is it Alice or Lucian it's Lucian who tells her like they're in conversation and he brings it up and he was like well if somebody really wanted to know something oh, somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. could go and trap this one type of fairy called a cereal and it's really funny how it goes because it's very hypothetical all of it's hypothetical and he's like if one would like to capture the cereal this is what you should do and he tells her this like super elaborate way of doing it and it's like hard yeah 
And it's like, you got to get a chicken. And oh, yeah. Like, so dumb. <laughs> it's like trap him up by the ankles. And then, like, as soon as you let it down, like, you got to run and, like, cross over some water. And it's like... Well, you find out later. All the surreal wants is a new coat. That's like, right. Like, just bring him a new coat. And he's happy. Um, yeah, Alice is like, that's some BS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alice is like, you should come to me from now on. I've yeah. got the goods. But anyway, she does all this. That Lucian tells her. She ties up this chicken and mm-hmm. just all this dramatic stuff. I picture, like, um, Farrah, like, sneaking into, you know, the the spring court barnyard or whatever they have mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. like, catching a chicken and She's all this stuff. Like, They're not going to miss this one chicken. <laughs> so, yeah. So she captures anyway, him. She does this. She um, captures the surreal with the chicken and she it's like in a trap where he can't get away mm-hmm. and he is like this nasty thing like big bony mm-hmm. um sockets for eyes like doesn't have any lips all your it doesn't have any lips all your nightmares come to life mm-hmm. like just raggedy um and that's why he needs a new cloak because he is right. like he's a forever being there's no telling like he's he been is here probably a very attractive gentleman amongst his own kind you <laughs> know true. Right, so true. But he's so like old, and his clothes are so tattered. He's like ancient. Yes, um, and and omniscient. Oh, and he clicks his fingers together. I remember that. Yes. He always clicks his fingers together. I feel like you can picture that perfectly. Um, and when people do fan art, they always have him holding tea because yeah. he always has the tea. Yeah, he spills the tea. Um, so anyway, she captures she captures him, and she's like, I don't even know what she asks. She, she asks, asks about the blight, the so-called yeah. blight, and he tells her more information about like. Um, there's a bunch of high lords, and, like, yeah. all of them are pretty much under the rule of this, like, tyrant. I yeah. don't know if he says Amarantha or not. I don't think I, so. I don't think he says her name. But he's like, oh, by the way, Tamlin is a high lord. Yeah. Somehow she finds out, and she's like, oh, shoot. Like, I didn't know he was a king. <laughs> and then he says the most iconic line <laughs> that we all know and that love. That was not me hiccuping. That was me, like, screeching <laughs> in happiness. He says... Stay with the High Lord. And she's like, oh, well, crap. I gotta stay with Tamlin. I guess I should. <laughs> Joke's on you. Um, so, yeah, at this time, she obviously, the only High Lord she knows is Tamlin. So she's like, oh. Yeah. Oh, she I also asks, is there really them. no way for me to get home? And the surreal tells her that they that fairies can lie, but Tamlin didn't lie to her about that. And if she wants to remain safe, that she needs to that's yeah. where the line comes in. You yeah. need to stay with the High Lord. Stay with the High Lord. And see and wait to see it all righted. Yes. So stay with the High Lord and wait to see it all righted. Mm-hmm. Which like if you've read all the books, you know, like stay with, you know, the High Lord and literally by the end everything gets righted. Mm-hmm. And everything, you know, turns out happy and oh just so much love. So I much. love love. Um, so they keep talking, tells her, oh, he tells her about the kingdom of Highburn. Yeah. Um, which is ruled by a really evil king, and that there are seven courts, uh, winter, spring, summer, autumn, dawn, day, and night. Night. Um, the king does not like the treaty, though. Yeah, the king wants his human slaves. Like, Mm -hmm. he's real salty about losing those, and, like, even, they talk about at one point, um... Like, rather than set his slaves free, he killed them all. Yeah. Like. Yeah, King of Highburn is a bad dude. Yeah. Bad news. Terrible. Like, we, mm-mm. He's bad. So, this Blight is, he, does he tell her that the Blight, the Blight is Amarantha? I mean, mm-hmm. obviously not her name. Okay. He doesn't. He doesn't tell her. 
So, um, but Highburn like has infiltrated the Supreme Court and all the rest of the courts, and like he has a plan to take over, um, and that this blight has to do with all this. Yeah. You don't really find out the extent of this till the end. I mean, we find out, or we know it's Amarantha mm-hmm. is a commander of Highburn. Yes. And she's just... Like, completely taken over. And she, like, took advantage of this party. We'll get to it, but anyways, yeah. yeah. She she essentially fooled everybody, and now she's the one in power and has this hold over everybody and, like, gave them an out, but that out is this bit with, like, yes. girlfriend has to hate the fairies and kill the fairies and then fall in love with Tamlin and say, I love you. And that's what Tamlin and Lucian are working towards, but they're on year, like, 49. She gave him 49 years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just not looking. Um, but then, in the midst great. of their combo, <gasps> she's attacked by Naga. Yes, and they're terrible. They just like are horrible, good fighters, really fast. And like a whole group of them come and attack Feyre and the Surreal. Yeah. Well, Surreal is just hanging there by this <laughs> trap. <laughs> He's like, hey girl, will you, go, you gonna let me out? So she <laughs> lets him go. Yeah. Kindness. She does. She has compassion. Kindness. Um, which and is the start escapes. of a beautiful friendship, as oh you say. Oh my gosh, I love it. And, um, and yeah, that's my whole point. Like, I am team Feyre and the Surreal. Mm-hmm. Like, they are just the best. And I literally like to imagine that they meet up for the tea, for tea on weekends and gossip. <laughs> and like, I like, what's the new news? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you. Um, so, anyway, she's, like, running away, and it's not looking good, and she screams. She and... does kill two Surreal, and previously... Oh, she didn't kill Surreal? Not Surreal. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so like, sorry. Naga. Not sorry. Not sorry. She kills two Naga on her own, but she yes. also is screaming for Lucian, because in his little hypothetical story, Lucian was like, hypothetically, I might be in the woods that day if someone were to hypothetically want to trap the Surreal. And I might come if I heard a scream. Like if you need my help. Yeah, if you need, if you get in trouble, and you need my help. I'll be there. Um, Fairies can lie. Yeah, and so he says later that he heard her scream and hesitated. And once again, I'm like, Lucian, why do you want this girl to die? Anyways, Tamlin actually is the one who saves the day. Yes, Tamlin rescues her, and that kind of kind of helps her a little bit. She's like, I don't hate you quite as much. Yeah. Um. So they like they talk, you know, they go home, yada, 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 and he's like, "Oh, I know something I want to talk about, but I don't know if it happens. I don't know exactly where in this plot it happens. I know it does not fall into the rough outline, um, but like Homegirl is so resilient that she she can't read. She cannot read. Yeah. It's very important mm-hmm. to mention that she's like going to the library trying to teach herself to read mm-hmm. during all this time because she wants to write to her family." Yep. Well, Tamlin, like... She's like, blight, danger, <laughs> yeah, amaranth. random words. Um, <laughs> Run. <laughs> just trying to get the news yeah, to her and, fam. Like, Tamlin stumbles upon her doing these things, and instead of being like, hey... Let me help you. Let me help you. He's like, I can write a letter for you. Well, obviously, she doesn't want him knowing what's in her letter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she feels super judged, so she goes on the defensive. Mm-hmm. But he never offers to teach her to read. Like, this 19-year-old girl that knows nothing about reading or literature or anything. And he's like... Well, he doesn't have time. He has to go brood and, like, be angry and <laughs> I stuff. I forgot that that was scheduled <laughs> during the day. Can't cut into the brooding time. Um... So I'm just like, so anyway, 
they have this conversation about her family, and she's pretty much like, I just want to ride them, you know. And mm-hmm. He's like, oh, it's fine. I gave them a bunch of money. Like, I, I took care of them. Mm-hmm. Like, they think that you're off staying with your dying aunt. And, and this was pre-serial, because I have I have a distinct memory that she's like, oh, well, he can't lie, so I guess my family's okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when she kind of steps back from the, like, I gotta get home mentality. She's like, yeah. okay, well, I can relax, because Tamlin has literally... They're taken care of. Like, wiped their memory, give them everything they needed, they're rich again, like, they've moved out of the shack and back into a big old house. Yeah. And he also implanted this, like, if you hear any danger, you need to run... So, like, he's crossed every T and dotted every I, and she's like, oh, well, like, what do I do? Like, what's, if not taking care of my family, what's my purpose? Yeah. And so she starts painting. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. She, like, goes on these, like, days-long binges of just painting, 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 painting. And it's Mm -hmm. awesome. It's it's really good for her. You want paint? I bring more paint. (laughs) Yes, I'll let you paint, but I'm not going to teach you how to read. That's yeah. just too much of a commitment. Um, so they start, you know, like, growing closer. Like, he starts learning how to talk to girls. Um, I feel like they have coaching sessions at night. Him <laughs> like, and Lucian. Lucian. Lucian's like, okay. <laughs> Let's practice. Like, maybe this is how you wink. Like, maybe brush your... But he brush only has your... one eye. <laughs> So he can't even really demonstrate. What if he's, like, teaching him all the tropes of, like, if your hand is close to her hand, you should brush your pinky. Like, if you ever get the chance, like, brush your pinky against her pinky. And Tamlin's like, okay, I got it. I was, like, writing it down. But Lucian's like, watch out for the butter knife. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I've never imagined that, but it's all I can see now. It's, mm-hmm. like, these coaching sessions. Um, and in all reality, if he had taught her how to read... She probably would have fallen in love with him. Honestly, yeah. Just, you know, whatever. Um, But they get to a point where Tamlin's like, okay, she's not going to freak out and run away, so I'm going to let her, like, see everybody here. And so he gives her fairy sight so that she can see what everybody really looks like. And, like, obviously everybody does not look humanoid. Everybody is really... Yeah, all over the and place. And when we say everybody, it's like the people in the palace yeah. and the grounds and stuff. Like the staff. Tamlin and Lucian are high fae, and so they look like human, human-ish. Yeah, they're like beautiful. Mm-hmm. Stunning, like super tall beautiful. with the pointy ears. Yes. High cheekbones. Yeah, except for the one eye. <laughs> but I've heard yeah. the other eye is described as very nice looking. It's just fake. Yes, I agree too. Um, And so... So one night, <clears throat> she starts to notice... How, like, people are prepping for, like, a big old party. Yeah. And she's like, what is going on? And she asks, and somebody's like, oh, well, it's Cal and Mai, and it's going to be a big celebration. It's kind of like the yearly celebration of spring. Yeah. Um, I think it's on, like, the first day of spring, kind of like how we have on our calendars where it's like, that's the first day of autumn. Uh, well, this is the first day of spring, and they're, they have to celebrate, but they also have to, like, replenish the land, so they have a big old party. And it's kind of like everybody gets, like, revelous and, like, it's like, people are free to, like, be a little cray-cray. So they tell her, like, you cannot come out of your room. You're human. You're fragile. Somebody will eat you. Like, yeah. you can't come to this party at like all. it's a free-for-all. Yes. Like, like, wine. You'll get killed. Everything. Mm-hmm. So she's like, hmm, I want to go to the party. She's been cooped up in this stupid manner for like all these months or whatever and she's never getting to do all she's doing is painting and to make things worse tamlin comes in with no shirt 
Oh yeah. And he's like in his little trousers and his mask. And he's like, Hey, I just came to see if you're gonna stay in your room, right? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, But I wanna go to the party and he's like, No, can't come. Can't come to the party. You stay here. If he'd have known who he was really dealing with, he would have, like, chained her to the bed. Honestly, yeah. That's the only thing that would have kept her in there. I'm not even sure that would have kept her. Yeah. Because she felt the pull. Yeah. I wondered if you thought that that was a faded thing. Oh, yeah. You think so? Oh, yeah. Well, late, not the first time, but the second time I read through it, I was like, obviously, it's because... She was meant to meet Reese. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, all these things are happening. She really just wants to go to this party. Homegirl has finally gotten her appetite back, Mm -hmm. and she just wants to, like, eat the good food, drink the good drink, dance. And they're like, no, we're even going to, we're not even going to let you eat dinner with us. We're going to send your food to your room, and you are grounded. Yeah. So, inevitably, she hears the drums, and she, like, looks out her window and, like, sees far away. Oh, wait, you need to to talk about the what's got to happen for the magic to be regenerated. Yes. So, the point of Cal and Mai is that they have to, like, pump new magic into the lands. So, like, (laughs) magic is, like, the High Lords are these huge magical beings. Like, they have essentially, like endless caverns of magic so in order to like make the land safe and like help the borders and you know the growth and everybody be prosperous they have to do this once a year but do where, all of the high lords do this or is i thought it was just spring. I, I get the feeling like and later we find out with the tithe that it's like it's a it's like a traditional thing and i don't know that it's like physically necessary like for the magic and the science of Prithian, I don't think it's necessary. But it's a thing that the Spring Court has done. And then, like, so Tamlin is like, well, I'm, I have to hold up all the traditions. Okay. So, but it's kind of like this religious, spiritual thing that happens. And so there's a cave, and there's the High Lord, which is Tamlin. And so the way it goes is that Tamlin has to find him a girl and get it on with this girl. In the the cave. In the cave. And, like, the magic of the sex is what brings the magic to the lands and, like, replenishes it. So obviously the fear is that, like, you know, Lucian and Tamlin are on the same page of, like, I mean, if Farah is around, you're going to choose Farah. And you will – and he's in the – I feel like he's in the beast – form when this happens no i don't think so it's still dangerous that's even in his human form section i don't want to cross over into i think it's probably his human form probably but he's just like wild and animalistic he's not himself and he says that to her when he comes to his room he's like i'm not gonna be myself tonight so you can't come like i don't want to hurt you kind of thing so but anyways that's what's happening in the cave with tamlin and it says that like everybody's gathered around the cave and Lucian says something later about, like, well, you know, everybody else joins in on the tradition, too, mm-hmm. even though it, it's not, like, the High Lord in his special times with the lady, but everybody else does it, too. So it's kind of depicted well, as this, like, big and sexual Lucian night. And explains it, like, I've got my own plans, yeah. so you better not be coming and messing it up, yes. because I'm going to have to babysit you if you leave your yes. room. Which is exactly what happens. Yeah. He's like, I'm trying to get it on, so you, <laughs> you need to stay at home. <laughs> Um, of course, we know that she, like a good girl, stays in her room and completely obeys. <laughs> no, she's like, man, those drums. Yeah, That sounds so fun. She's like, I'm just going to go down there and get a plate of food. I think her theory is like, she's like, all the smoke 
from like the cooking is gonna mask my scent. Yeah. And like everybody's drunk. Oh, Nobody's yeah. gonna notice me. For sure. And like everybody notices her. She goes down there though and she's like Oh, Walking this is around. great, man. There's all these all this food, all this wine, like all these great people. And then she runs into like some not great people. Some not great people. And these three fairies are not from spring they're from somewhere else yeah i don't think it ever specifies where they're from right but they're just not locals and they're really mean and they're like hey human what are you doing here they're like we'll help you celebrate tonight like we'll teach you what cow and my is all about and she's like uh i gotta go yeah they're like grabbing her and Uh pawing at her Mm -hmm. and she's like trying to get away and she's like mayday mayday but then but then Someone steps up and he's like, "Oh, girl, I've been looking for you." He says, "There you are." Oh yes, there you are. I've been, I've been looking, looking for, for you. <laughs> and it's so true. It's the very truest truth. Yes. And you find that out in chapter fifty-four of *A Court of Mist and Fury* when you get his perspective that, that like, he be, was actually looking for her. That'll be in the next podcast. That's so right. we won't talk about We're that now because but that's it all is. I will talk about. Resand, the High Lord of the Night Court. But you don't know it right now. No. You just but, think. But we know. But it. she describes. Okay, this I've been waiting for this part yeah. for how long has this podcast been? I don't even know. We're I've been waiting to talk about this. <laughs> like, I'm like this is everybody's favorite everybody. part of this whole book. Okay. <laughs> Girls, trust your instincts because yeah. Feyre. Upon seeing Tamlin for the first time, and then several times after was horrified, recoiled, even though, even though he was very attractive, she was scared of him, he was terrible, like gut-clenching, like I need to get away from him feeling. Fear, like her fight-or-flight response. was definitely... Engaged. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so when Resand comes into the picture, literally in the book it says... Um, he was the most beautiful man I ever laid eyes on. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, oh, yeah, who is this? and like such foreshadowing, such foreshadowing. She talks about his eyebrows. Yeah, how groomed they are, <laughs> how well groomed, and his like the color of his eyes that they like sparkled, like, like starlight, <clears throat> and they're like violet, and his his hair is blue black and all yeah. this stuff. We didn't even find out what Tamlin looked like until Farah calmed down enough. We didn't even find out what Tamlin looked like until Farah calmed down enough to to start notice. like thinking, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, he has, and I think he's blonde, right? Yeah, he's he's got long, luscious blonde hair, like and green, green eyes. eyes. He's real tan. I mean, mm-hmm. like he is described as very good looking. Yeah, he's but just, she does. You're right about her gut response. She yeah. does not have the same response, and it's not even like. She's like immediately hot for Reese or anything. No, it's, it's just, just a, she, an observation. It's a pleasant response to Reese, and it's almost like an air of comfort because when she first sees Tamlin, it's not a comfort. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Reese pretty much saved her from being like assaulted. Yeah, and it's not like she's a puddle either. She immediately she's like, oh, he seems dangerous. Yeah, I'm gonna so get she, away. Yeah, she does respond of like, he's like, do you want me to show you around, Kalanmai? She's like, um, I came here with a friend, yeah. and she went to get drinks, so I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, human. Um, but And, like, of course, he's great, so he lets her go. But yeah. it's not as if she just falls at his feet, but you're, no. you're definitely right about her gut response. It's like, whoa, mm-hmm. this guy is really good looking. Mm-hmm. 
So that's our first meeting, and that's he did I mean. save her, you know, from that. So yeah, first impression, we're like, oh, I kind of like this guy. Yeah. yeah, but we do. I think the reader is also like, oh yikes, he's a big danger. <clears throat> but then yeah. Lucian finds her, and he's like, Farah. <laughs> What are you doing here? It's like scolding her. Yeah. I feel like he's grabbing her by the arm, yeah. like on the armpit, you know, and yeah. like grabbing her. Like Get back to your yes. room. Yeah. You're ruining my night. Mm-hmm. And then later that night, she's like, oh, I'm so hungry. Yeah, she goes to bed and then she wakes up later. She's like, man, <laughs> I wonder if, if there's, there's food. like food in the kitchen. I'm going to just go check. And so she like leaves her room to sneak down to the kitchen and I think in her inner monologue, you can tell, like, she's kind of hoping to run into Tamlin. Because during the walk back to the thing, Lucian tells her. And he's like, listen, tonight is about sexy times, okay? And it's a big danger. You are not invited. Yeah. So you don't want to run into Tamlin. And so I feel like Farrah's like, oh, but I kind of want to run into Tamlin. <laughs> so, of course, they have a meeting in the hall. Oh, it's so painfully weird. Um, even, like, even reading it the first time, like, I'm all about a good little sexy spiel. Mm-hmm. But this was just kind of weird. It was, it was gruff. It was gruff. And it was a little too, it was a little too personal. Mm-hmm. He, like, gets her and, like, slams her up against the wall and he's, like, glazed with lust. Yeah, his eyes are glazed over. You can tell it's not yeah. really, he's not fully there. And she's just like, I was just going for a midnight snack. This is <laughs> not the like, snack I had in mind. <laughs> she's like, oh, hey. Yeah. But she's like, we're here, you know. <clears throat> and then he bites her. He does. Which, like, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the whole fae biting thing, you know, uh-huh. especially in Throne of Glass. With Rose. There's, yeah. There's, there, like, there's like a... We won't like give spoilers, but there's a part in Throne of Glass that's real controversial to a lot of readers. But, like... It's seen as a territorial thing to a lot. It is, and I understand that. And, like, in the Throne of Glass situation, like, when we go through those books, I totally understand it and, like, am supportive of it. Mm -hmm. But this was weird. This was just, like... To me, it felt like Tamlin being, like, at a basal instinct point, he was, like... I haven't had any success getting her to like me. Like, I'm just going to take this opportunity and take what I want. Yeah. Like, he wants to be intimate with her. And she, like, they haven't bonded. Yeah. And and he's like, here I go. This was not a consent boner moment. Mm -mm. Like, and we talk about, that that was your term that you taught me, the consent. Consent boner, yeah. The consent boner. Like, we like it when... Things consent are going is well asked and for. consent is asked for. And yeah. this was not one of those moments. Uh uh-uh. uh. Tamlin is not like, oh, excuse me, ma'am, can I nibble on your neck? No. <laughs> no. That didn't just, happen. And it's not just like a, a cute little bite. No. It's like leaves a nasty bruise. Yes. And that's talked about later where yeah. like it's clearly visible. So I imagine like more of a hickeyish bruise. Like Ooh. I don't know if I don't know if skin is punctured. That's not talked about. Like there's no blood talk. Like I had to wipe the blood away or anything. No. But it's at least a bruise. Like where he squeezed her skin hard. It's bad enough that she slapped the mess out of him. She did. She responded in a slap, and Which he was I like, "That was appropriate." I don't remember his response really, but it, it ended. Oh, uh, you that. don't want to remember his response. He like gets all weird and detailed about what he did to that girl and. Oh, that's stuff. right. He's like, I thought of you yeah, the whole that's time. So that's so crazy. He's like, I would have been gentle with you. And I'm like, well, poor other girl. Yeah, I'm like, I hope like, she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the moment everybody was like, are we really rooting for him? 
Like, <laughs> is this healthy? Yeah, because everybody, when they're reading this, unless they've been spoiled, they're like, this is our main dude. Yeah. yeah. And the, I feel like I had mixed feelings as well. I was like... Obviously, it's a sexy moment, so you're like, "Oh shoot!" And then, and then you're like, "Oh no, what?" (laughs) Yeah, which I feel like when you're in the middle of something, you feel however the author wants you to feel because of that's what the character's feeling. Mm -hmm. But then when you take a step back, you're like, "Wait a second. Mm -hmm. Which in this situation, it was just really good writing because we find out later that Tamlin was not in game. But I remember even reading this for the first time, like, and not having. Like, did you read this and you knew about Reese? Like, was going to be Endgame? No. Okay. Not when I was reading this book. I didn't either. And I was reading this and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to read the second book or third book if this yeah. doesn't get better. And then, of course, we have the trials and there's like, you know, you're like, and you get you're the vibes. curious. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, it could be Reese. You don't know that it's going to be. You either mm-hmm. think Tamlin's really going to redeem himself. Right. Or, but, but you get curious. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, I was kind of like, this is just really, like, kind of weird about Let's it. Let's face it. I think, I think Pharaoh was missing Isaac a little bit at this yeah. point. She was missing her trips to the barn. Pharaoh had a lot of pent-up energy. She was feeling it. And she, she just, was into it. At the time. At the time. So, I mean, I will say that for sure. Like, the main character, she, like, obviously didn't like the bite and was not for it. But in the moment, she was kind of, like, hoping that she would run into Tamlin or whatever. And later, she is into their, like, physical relationship. Well, and I almost think she would have liked the bite had it been in a situation that was more... I don't know. It was It was less loving. They had not even had a full conversation at this point. Much less a kiss. Yeah. Handhold. Hug. (laughs) Nothing. I mean, like, Tamlin hasn't even learned to say, how is your day going yet? Mm -hmm. Like, we're still at, like, one word kind of exchanges. It's just so weird. And he just, like, pins her up against the wall and bites the crap out of her. Hey, guys. Quick post-recording note. We got curious about this scene, and so we consulted the book a bit. Turns out that Pharaoh was actually really super into the bite. She responded with her body um, in ways that we all understand. And the part that she really became angry about was when Tamlin said, don't ever disobey me again. Right. So that kind of snapped her out of the I'm into this and into the ugh, get away. Yeah. So anyways, that happens. And then the next morning, Pharaoh is like, I'm going to put on a shirt that for sure shows my neck. Oh, yeah. And she goes down to breakfast, and Lucian, I feel like Lucian does a spit take. He's like. He does. They said he spit into his. Really? Yeah, I think so. He's like, so. I'm sorry, what is that? Yeah. And she's like. Ask him. him. Yeah. She oh, says, ask him. She's, you're right. She's like, ask him. And he's like. He's like, I didn't do that. <laughs> he's, that I, was my other uh, personality. <laughs> I think your inner monologue is like, if he wants to do this, then he gets to see it. He's going to you know, own up. He's going to own up for his behaviors. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's just... Mm. Thanks for listening to part one of the A Court of Thorns and Roses episode of Fiction Therapy. You can catch our thoughts on the rest of the book in part two, where we will pick up where we left off.